Thank you. Morning. We are going to get talking about Jesus' yoke again, but before we do, I wanted to just remind you that this is the last Sunday you can sign up for the marriage weekend that Kathy and I are doing. It's not a retreat because we're not like going away, but when was the last time you just spent some time with your spouse talking about how are we? You know, we get so busy that we don't slow down and go, how are we doing? So the design of this is you come Friday night, we give you some ideas, and then we send you out on a date. When was the last time you went out on a date? And uh, we're not providing the resources for that, by the way. You, you have to figure that part out yourself. And you come back on Saturday morning, and we'll got some more tools and ideas to give you. This is not something where we're trying to make you feel guilty. What we're trying to do is resource you to take it to the next level. Um, and you'll get to hear some fights that we have had, which, you know, could be entertaining. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we sign up, and the money that we're charging is just going to help us get some um, resources for you and a little food and stuff. But um, sign up. We'd love to have you. So we started this series a couple of weeks ago talking about Jesus' yoke. Remember, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me. So this really was a way of him describing discipleship, that we get in the yoke with Jesus. And it's an easy and a light load. It's not, come to me and I will give you impossible burdens. Well, then last week we started looking at how Jesus taught his disciples, and we looked, began to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were here, you remember that we talked about how there was a very specific context. You can't take words and teaching out of their context. And Luke has another version of this message, and I described to you how it wasn't the same message that Luke just remembered differently or got a different report of, they're actually two different times. As a teacher, Jesus traveled, and so he went lots of different places. And so he said the same thing more than once, but he didn't say it in the same way. And in each of those situations, one he was up on a mountain and one he was on a plane, in each of those situations, there was a condition that was the same. It was that crowds of people had experienced miracles. They had experienced healing. They had experienced demons being cast out. And that was consistent with what the prophets talked about. With the presence of the kingdom of God, why wouldn't there be healing? Why wouldn't that God's presence manifest all kinds of amazing things? But that had to be blowing the disciples' minds. And so he begins to teach them to explain. And so we said last week that the Beatitudes were not prescriptions for how you get blessing. Like, if you're not poor in spirit, no kingdom of God for you. That's not what it's saying. He's saying the poor in spirit, those that just barely can get there, they're still welcome. He's reversing the prevailing assumptions. Those that mourn, that's not the end. The blessing is for you. So they're not prescriptions of how you get blessing. They're describing how everyone is blessed. 
not by the condition, but by the kingdom. Now, our, our categories, our prevailing assumptions are different. So for the disciples, they thought of rich people as blessed by God and poor people as not blessed by God. And if you think about how the Pharisees talked about some of the people Jesus hung out with, they were called the sinners. So their heads are just kind of freaking out about this. So we've got to realize that we can't impose our prevailing assumptions on them. We try to make these pretty, and they're not. So we could say, blessed is the drug addict, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're not saying it's good to be a drug addict, right? And we're not saying the blessing is in being a drug addict. We're saying your being a drug addict doesn't prevent you from coming to Jesus. It doesn't automatically exclude you. You can be in the kingdom. And so that's what's going on here. But as soon as Jesus says that, then he turns around and says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Be light do your good works in a way that they may glorify your Father in heaven. So he's saying everybody's blessable, now you go be the blessing to them. When you embrace the kingdom, when you live with Jesus, when you've received what God wants to give you, you are now charged, enabled, equipped with a message to bless people. And the question is, are you willing to do that? because we talked about last week, maybe there's some people you don't particularly want to bless. And that's a problem. So we're going to go to the next step in Jesus' teaching this morning, what he says next. So would you just pause and pray? Would you just ask Jesus? I'm going to talk, but it's really more important that Jesus talks. So we're going to look at Jesus' words. So would you just ask the Lord to show you what Jesus is saying, and and then I'll pray for us. Father, when we come to your word, we can be hard, hardened ears, hardened heart. Help us hear you this morning. Help me explain well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, how do we not curse? We listen to what Jesus has to say. So the first thing he says after he's just given these beatitudes and told them to be a blessing, he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I do not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now why would he have to say that? Again, the disciples' heads are exploding. They're seeing all these people who were thought of as not good or outside or them being blessed. And so it's like, you're blowing up everything, Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not blowing up everything. I'm trying to help you understand that the law is good. If you read the Psalms, it talks about the law being perfect and restoring the soul. But see, we apply it 
incorrectly. We don't understand what it's trying to teach us. So then Jesus says this, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's where I have this huge problem with how people talk about Jesus. I really don't like it. Because, like, the Pharisees are tough. Jesus is even tougher. You know? You think you're good? No, 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 no. You're, you're far worse. I mean, Jesus is taught as if he's piling it on here to really, really impress you with how awful you are. So let's think about that word righteousness for just a minute. What is righteousness? How would you define righteousness? Somebody asks you, I I see this word righteousness in the Bible. What does that mean? What do you think? Right standing with God, okay. Obedience to his word, okay. Well, he just said, your righteousness has got to surpass that of the Pharisees. They were pretty good rule followers. I got, a, I got a question for you, okay? Would you rather be described as a rule follower or a good person? Which do you want? How many want rule follower? Nobody raised their hand. How about good person? See, the issue here is not about the law as a set of rules It's about what the law teaches us about what the good person is like. So, this is how Jesus does that. He says, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, this is where they go. They say, okay, yeah, don't kill anybody. That's good. But Jesus says, don't even be angry or you're going to hell. That's not the point. That's not what he's saying. He's showing us what the real issue is. You see, it's not the outward performance It's the inward inclination. It's the inner heart. So not murdering somebody is a good plan, right? Like, you haven't murdered anybody, good. Don't start. But do you know some really angry, mean people who are toxic to be around, but they've never killed anybody? See, the issue here is what the not kill somebody is supposed to point to. It's how we treat people and think about them. There's lots of ways to be mean to someone short of killing them. So think about what God said about Israel all the time. He said their hearts were far away. Their hearts were hard. 
toward him. And he knew that they couldn't fulfill the law in of themselves. We all know that. We're going to fall short. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to want something that's not good for us and do something that's not kind. So what does is, what is God say? I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll remove the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Not flesh as in, you know, sin, but flesh as in tender. Haven't you ever read something in the newspaper and thought, how can somebody do that to another person? You see, there's a hardness of heart that gets into us when we become angry. So let's go back to what Jesus says. See, what's the issue here? Well, someone does something you don't like, or someone comes after you in some way that's not good, and we begin to feel angry at them. Anger is a natural response. We all have experienced it. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But when it festers and when it builds up, then all kinds of things begin to happen. So then we start talking about someone as good for nothing. And by the time you get to the word fool, fool in English does not convey what this word means. You'd have to use swear words that I won't use in church. It, it, you have to talk almost vilely about the person to express the contempt that's in this word fool. So you're calling someone truly, truly worthless. But what do we leave about people? People are made in whose image? God's image, right? And Psalm 139 tells us that God wove them together in their mother's womb. Every single person you meet is a creation of God. So you're going to talk about a creation of God as worthless. See, that's not right. Sinful, yes, we're all sinful. But here in this context, Jesus is pointing at the heart. You have begun to murder the person far before you've ever thought of the plan to actually carry it out because you've devalued them and you think you know enough to be able to pass judgment. Let me ask it another rather brutal way. Is there anybody you wish really would go to hell? See, that's the ultimate hard heart. Because we know all kinds of people who've done bad things and evil things who have turned to God and found forgiveness. God's grace is big enough and strong enough to forgive. So when we let anger override everything that we know about the goodness of God and think about a person as contemptible, we aren't going to bless them. So this is how Paul says it. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. <laughs> you see the company angry, anger keeps? Bitterness. 
When you let anger go unaddressed in your life towards someone, it develops bitterness. When you have had something happen to you that's bad, and you keep rehearsing that injury and don't give it, forgive it, release it to God, you develop a heart of bitterness. Wrath and anger, you're willing to do harm. Have you ever known that someone was angry at you? How did that feel? Didn't it hurt just to know they were angry at you? You see, anger is a willingness, is an inclination, it is a precursor to being able to hurt someone. Clamor has to do with loud noise, you know, like shouting, slander, you begin to malign a person's character and their reputation. Malice, <laughs> you think of evil things that you want to have happen to them. Kind of toxic. And see, that's what happens when we let anger be the operating condition of our soul. There's a surge that comes with anger. I'm sure you've experienced it. And it's not, sometimes we don't reject that because it gives us some intensity. So Jesus then expresses this tender heart with this account. He says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, this was not coming to church like we do. Like, this isn't like a weekly thing where you just kind of, you know, come and... This was a big deal. Like, you're presenting your offering at the altar. This was a big, important part of their worship. It was significant. You would have prepared for it. And so he says, if you're doing that and you remember your brother has something against you, you are so concerned about that. You, that matters to you enough to change your plans. Go and make it right with your brother. And then come present the offering. Anger. Oh, so sweet, so deadly, so common so what helps us deal with anger well first of all if you're not in the kingdom if you're not living in yoke with jesus if you don't think he's there with you if you're not understanding his care and provision for you then you got to protect yourself and you got to take care of yourself and some people's view of taking care of yourself is you've got to be the biggest, meanest person around so that nobody messes with you. If we embrace the first part of the sermon that we are blessable, that we can live in the kingdom, that we can have relationship with God, that he cares for us and provides for us, the favorite psalm of many people who aren't even, you know, don't know much about the Bible, the Psalm 23, the Lord is my... What do shepherds do? They care for their sheep, right? So as we, as we grow in that confidence, then we know that we're safe. 
Jesus told his disciples repeatedly, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he guaranteed them that they were going to experience tribulation and they were even going to be killed for the sake of the gospel. Like, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill you. But they could kill me! Yeah. But, what's our worldview? That you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal future in God's kingdom. God has many, many plans for you far beyond your imagination that will last for thousands and millions of years in the future. You are perfectly safe in the kingdom of God. So, we have this confidence, and that lets us be at a place where we can seek another person's good, even if they seem like an enemy. That's why we're told to love our enemies, to do good to those that curse us. That's impossible if we allow anger to have a root in our lives that continues to operate. So, the way not to murder somebody is to pull anger from your life as an operating condition. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to feel angry and you try to suppress it. Suppressing anger is a bad idea because you just stuff it down and ignore it, but it's still there. And you're pretending, have you ever had somebody, I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, I'm not, I'm not angry. Of course you are. Just admit it. So have you ever had that surge like something drops in front of you on, on the highway and you need to swerve? You know, There's like this jolt. There, there's things that happen that we don't want to have happen and we react. That's, anger has to do with not having something the way you would like it to be. It's not going my way. And we feel anger. There's nothing wrong with having the feeling of anger that just naturally surfaces. So just trying to suppress it isn't the solution here. We have to understand it, like, why am I angry? So allow those feelings to surface so you can recognize what you're really angry about. Like, why are you really angry? Have you ever been, like, talking to somebody and, and, and kind of upset with them and, and being kind of mean to them? And they go, what's your problem? And then you realize, you know, you're really not my problem. I'm really mad about this over here, but I'm taking it out on you. Of course, I've never done that. <laughs> so then you give it to God, and you talk to him about it. So let me give you some questions for anger. Um, but let me tell you a story. Some of you have heard this story before. Sorry, you're going to hear it again. So I believe anger and plumbing go together. Because I have never done, like, if I can do a plumbing project and not swear, I consider it a minor miracle. So I had a water heater go out. I bought the new water heater. I took the old one out. And there are copper pipes that went to it. And just the way it was, I knew I needed to get some help. So I went to a store that's no longer there anymore. They made a copper pipe and a, an attachment 
that I put, you know, you screw onto the, um, you screw onto the water heater. Now, the top of the water heater had nylon threads. I foolishly assumed that I didn't need to put plumber's tape on it. So it leaked. So what was my solution to the leak? Crank harder. That didn't work. So what's going through my head? What is wrong? My water heater that I've just spent money for is leaking. I don't want it to leak. There's electricity here. I'm scared. I'm also worried that if I crank it anymore, I'm going to ruin the water heater and have to go buy another one. Increase in anger. I'm trying, you know, everything I can there, not pausing and thinking about what's actually wrong and what would be a more, you know, better solution, just trying harder. So I get so angry, I swear at the top of my lungs, I just shout like, you know? And then I remembered that my son was home from college and he'd brought a friend. And I'm thinking, yeah, so what's your dad do for a living? And why is he in the basement swearing? <laughs> uh, so, what's wrong? Like, when you feel this anger, like, what's the problem? What is it that you're upset about? Put it into words. What do you want? What is it that you wanted to have happen? What were you expecting? You know, sometimes somebody does something, and it's not what we wanted. We had an expectation. It doesn't meet that. But they did something, there wasn't anything wrong with what they did. See, what did, what's wrong? What did you want? And then think about what's at risk. Now, one of the things that we have to recognize is we're supposed to hate evil. There are some things that people do to others that are not right. Not getting angry or letting it control us doesn't mean that there aren't some things that we should have some feelings of anger towards. It's just we're not going to use that anger to deal with it. We're going to cool off a little bit and then figure out what to do. What's at risk? Sometimes things really serious are at a risk, and you're going to have to do something about it. But doing it angrily is probably not going to work out real well. What's my part? Like, there's some things I can't control. I have no say. I can't do anything about it. I can pray. Other times, there is a part like, I've got a role to play in this. I can do something with this. Here's a good one. Do, do I have the facts? There was a time where I thought this woman doesn't, isn't here anymore. She moved away a long time ago. There was a woman in our church who I thought said something really bad about my wife. I was angry. And then I found out she didn't say it. Guess what? I wasn't angry anymore. Like, Oh, that didn't happen. Find out the facts before you go off. That, that's, that's really embarrassing when you can. I mean, I didn't find it out from her, fortunately. I did never talk to her before I found out, but do I have the facts? And then where is your security? Is your security in God or in yourself? Do you have to manage everything? 
There's a lot of things you can't manage. Trust, trust God with this. So let's go back to righteousness. Righteousness isn't found in keeping the rules. Jesus is trying to help us know it's not, it's, it's good that you haven't killed anybody. Don't start, but that's not far enough. Recognize the way we kill people with our words and with our thoughts and with our attitudes and cultivate a tender heart willing to love others as Jesus would love them. I came across this story and uh, I want to read it to you because I feel like this could help us. But understand, we're thinking in terms of a metaphor here. So, A rabbi once asked his students, how do we know when night has ended and day has begun? The students thought that they grasped the importance of this question. There are, after all, prayers and rites that can only be done at nighttime. And there are prayers and rites and rituals that belong only to the day. So it's important to know how we can tell when night has ended and the day has begun. So the first and the brightest of the students offered this answer. Rabbi, when I look out at the fields and I can distinguish between my field and the field of my neighbor, that's when the night has ended and the day has begun. A second student offered his answer. Rabbi, when I look from the fields and I see a house and I can tell that it's my house and not the house of my neighbor, that's when the night has ended and the day has begun. A third student offered another answer. Rabbi, when I see an animal in the distance and I can tell what kind of animal it is, whether a cow or a horse or a sheep, that's when the night has ended and the day has begun. Then a fourth student offered yet another answer. Rabbi, when I see a flower and I can make out the color of the flower, whether they are red or blue or yellow, that's when the night has ended and the day has begun. Each answer brought a sadder, more severe frown to the rabbi's face until he finally shouted, No! None of you understands. You only divide. You divide your house from the house of your neighbor, your field from your neighbor's field. You distinguish one kind of animal from another. You separate one color from all the others. Is that all we can do? Dividing, separating, splitting the world into pieces? Isn't the world broken enough? Isn't the world split into enough fragments? Is that what Torah is for? No, my dear students. It's not that way. Not that way at all. The shocked students looked into the sad face of their rabbi. Then rabbi, tell us, how do we know that night has ended and day has begun? The rabbi stared back into the faces of his students, and with a voice suddenly gentle and imploring, he responded, when you look into the face of the person who's beside you, and you can see that person is your brother or sister, then finally the night has ended and the day has begun. When we can see the people around us as blessable, no matter where they've been or what they've done, when we can see that they can receive God's grace and we can extend it to them, when we live like that, then the kingdom is with us and on us.
and night is ending and day has begun. Let's not let anger cloud us and keep us from being the salt and the light that Jesus calls us to be. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus' words. They're so practical. We all get angry. Lord, teach us how to use our anger correctly to understand what's wrong inside us and bring it to you. Help us not to be controlled by it. Help us to be controlled by your spirit. Help us to lay aside the things that come with anger. Help us to forgive what needs to be forgiven. And help us walk with you in yoke, we pray. Amen.